If you watch TV in the 1990s, you probably remember the clip shows. It was back when, you know, every few years, a TV show, instead of creating an episode of new content, they would just kind of do this recap, this rehash of a bunch of things that happened over, over previous seasons. You know, those were the days back before they had so many reruns on. You couldn't just buy the DVD and watch it anytime you wanted. And so to relive some of those moments from the past, those highlights, they would have a clip show episode. And I remember watching lots of shows as I grew up highlight some of that past content so that you could kind of go back and revisit those moments. And uh, today is not going to be a clip show in the sense that I'm not paying. I'm not playing clips of past content. What I want to do is revisit some things that I've already taught because I want to do a recap and review before we march forward in the book of Ezekiel. So let me tell you four things that we're going to get out of today's episode. Number one is a review of the truths about God that we've already learned as we embarked on this study. Two, if you're new and if you haven't heard past episodes, I'm hoping that I might kind of wet your whistle to go back and hear about some of those things again. So I'll mention some previous episode, uh, their episode numbers where you can go back and find those episodes if you want to hear that content. Number three, if you've never listened to this podcast before, but maybe you just tuned in um, because you want to learn more about God, that's what we're going to do today. And then number four, Another thing you'll get out of today's episode, which is unrelated to Ezekiel, but I have a very special announcement about our upcoming 100th episode. And so if you are not into the clip show style thing, but if you're just a fan of the podcast, you know, that's perfectly fine. It's not going to hurt my feelings. Look at the timestamps in the show notes and skip right to the end if you want to hear more about what's coming on our 100th episode. You're going to find all of that out today on the Cross References podcast. Welcome to the Cross References podcast, where you learn how each piece of the Bible tells one big story, and most importantly, how all these small pieces connect and point to the cross and Christ. Whether you're a new Christian or a veteran Bible reader, my goal is that God's word will make more sense to you after every episode. This is Luke Taylor. I'm a minister, but that doesn't mean I have all the answers. I have questions. That's why I study the Bible, because the Bible has the answers, and sometimes studying the Bible, it does lead to more questions. But I study it anyway because it teaches me more about the one who does have the answers. And so I don't have the answers. That's probably why I was never good at the show Jeopardy. Um, if you're familiar with Jeopardy, I'm, you probably are. We talked about Wheel of Fortune a few episodes ago. Today is Jeopardy. So I guess I'm hitting all these game shows. But we know how Jeopardy works. They give you the answer. And then you have to figure out what the most logical question was, right? And um, there was an episode kind of recently and it gave these clues, and I'm going to explain later for you why I'm playing this here. But listen to the clue that this gave and how nobody knew the answer. Matthew 6, 9 says, Our Father which art in heaven, this be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. And then there was also this moment recently. This Bible book gives us the line, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. That's in Psalms. So as you can see, nobody knew the answer or nobody knew the question. <laughs> I don't know. See, I was never good at Jeopardy. This is why. But anyway, the Bible is a book that gives us the answers. You know, sometimes we read the Bible and we have more questions than whenever we went into it. But reading the Bible, it always brings us closer to the God who has the answers. And the Bible you know, the main thing of the Bible, it's not just to lead us to salvation, but it's also to lead us into a deeper relationship with God, to know him and to know his ways. In the book, The Ways of God, it's by Richard Blackaby. He says, to know what God is like, there is only one authoritative place to look, the Bible. We live in an age where opinions are prized and feelings are supreme, but our, relation, our, but our reasoning and emotions do not dictate what God is like. God is God. There are not billions of gods, each corresponding to the preferences of everyone. God has provided everything we need to know about him and his ways in one repository, the Bible. So to know the ways of God, we must search the scriptures. If God's biblical revelation about himself does not align with our view of him, it is not scripture that needs adjusting. So the Bible teaches us about God, and that's the point of the Bible. It, it, it teaches us 
about God. That's one reason that I love studying it. I get to know God better. And if you're studying the Bible, if you don't feel like you're learning anything new about God, you're probably not doing it right. I also like what Blackaby said about how it's not scripture that needs adjusting. So if you learn something about God as you study the Bible, and if it doesn't jive with your preconceptions of God, it means the Bible is right and you are wrong. And that's okay. Nobody understands God 100%. We are all on a constant journey of learning more and more about God. And and sometimes that means shedding some of these preconceptions that we bring to him. And so we've taken that journey as we went through the book of Ezekiel. Today, it's part literally 42 of our Ezekiel study. And I just want to do a reflection episode, a recap episode on what we've learned about God along the way. So we've covered 24 chapters of Ezekiel, and this is the 42nd lesson. So that means we have not gone through it super quickly. You know, we have taken our time so that we could dig in and squeeze everything out of it that we possibly can. And so along the way, I have personally, I've learned some things about God that I did not know going into it. Some of these things have challenged me. They've challenged my preconceptions of God. And so that's what I want to just reflect with you on today. Part three, we talked about, when I say part three, I mean part three of the Ezekiel study. Um, If you scroll way back in the episodes all the way to close to where I began the podcast, the Ezekiel series part three, and I think that was like episode eight of the podcast, but it was part three of just about Ezekiel. So that's what you need to look for. In part three, we talked about being in a post-Christian nation. What God told Ezekiel is that I'm calling you to be a prophet and I'm going to make your face hard like Flint. I'm going to make you hard-headed because you're going to get a lot of weird looks. You're going to get a lot of mean comments, but it's going to, you're going to have to take it so that you can do what I've called you to do because I'm sending you into a post-Christian nation. Now, that's not actually what it was called back then. The ancient Israelites did not call themselves Christians, but they had at one time They had been followers of God, and that was no longer the case. And so I picked this book of the Bible to study. One of the reasons is because we live in a post-Christian nation. Think back to that Jeopardy puzzle that I played before. If you had those clues given 20, maybe even 10 years ago, easily somebody on the three-person panel, they would have known the correct response to one of those simple clues. Even if they weren't Christians, You would just know those clues because we got the Christian culture. Um, It's a biblical culture. Uh, It it used to be, is what I'm saying. Even my four-year-old can say the Lord's Prayer, but none of these people knew it, okay? What's the difference? Well, that's because my four-year-old's growing up in a Christian home. He's got a, a Christian mother who taught him, but most people today don't have a Christian home, and we can't any longer really say that we have a Christian culture or a Christian nation. And Ezekiel is in a situation similar to us. He had grown up in in a culture that at one time followed God, but now it was an outright rebellion to God. And this had invited God's judgment. And so since there's a lot of parallels between Ezekiel's life and our lives, what I'd like to do today is just review what we have learned about God as we studied Ezekiel's story. So the way I divide up Ezekiel is that it has five major sections. Those are chapters 1 through 11, chapters 12 through 24, chapters 25 through 32, chapters 33 through 39, and then chapters 40 through 48. That's how I divide the book up. And so, so far, we've covered two of those major sections. Chapters 1 through 11 were about what was going to happen to Israel and Jerusalem. And then chapter chapters 12 through 24, they were all about why it was going to happen. And in chapter 24, it all finally happened. So that's why I call chapter 24 the turning point of the book, because now Ezekiel is going to focus on other things. That's that's one of the reasons why this is a good time to stop and reflect before we move on. So chapters 1 through 11 start with the calling of Ezekiel as a prophet. Um, He had been trained as a priest, and that's what he thought his role was going to be for his entire life. He was a Levite. He was a male. And so he had basically been born into this. Um, this is what he thought his destiny was, was to be a a priest. And all of a sudden he gets kidnapped and taken to a city called Tel Abib. He's taken by the Babylonians. 10,000 other Jews were also kidnapped and taken away to this town. 
And so now Ezekiel is hundreds of miles away from home. And I'm sure if we put ourselves in his shoes, imagine what he was thinking. He must feel like he was one of the unlucky Jews. He must think that his whole life, his destiny has been derailed because he thought he was going to do this one thing. He had been training for it for his whole life. He's about 30 years old, getting ready to become a priest. And he gets kidnapped and taken away. He feels pretty unlucky. He wishes he could be like one of those ones back home who avoided getting captured and they get to still live in Jerusalem with the temple. So then God shows up. He says Ezekiel was wrong. And I'm not calling Ezekiel lucky, but I'm saying he is actually better off where he is than those Jews back home at Jerusalem because they are going to be wiped out in a cataclysmic attack by Babylon's armies. That city is going to be wiped off the face of the map even God's temple is going to be destroyed. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Today, as I'm working on this lesson, I, we're just reeling from the recent attack on Israel by terrorists. And this was a major attack. We don't have all the details yet. But Israel's response has been to basically declare a state of war and to go against Hamas. You know, by the time you hear this episode, you're going to know more than I do as I'm recording it. So I don't have the answers for everything going on. I don't have I don't I'm not going to get into a deep reflection just yet. But here's what I do know. The stuff going on right now is not random. One of the things that we learn about God in this book of Ezekiel is that he does not allow his nation to be attacked unless he has a greater purpose for it. And so in Ezekiel's day, that purpose was judgment. Now, I don't know what God's purposes are today. You know, is this something that could be a trigger for the Gog and Magog conflict or some talk about the Psalm 83 war? I don't know. Um, possibly, you know, I read I read Psalm 83. I'm not sure if it's something about in prophecy or if it's just something that's happened in the past. I really don't know when I read Psalm 83. I'm definitely expecting the Ezekiel 38 war one of these days. It might be really close. It could be kicking off by the time you hear this. I don't think it's that close, but we could be ramping up to it. So as I've been saying, we might get to the Ezekiel 38 war before I actually make it to Ezekiel chapter 38 on this podcast. And I would not be surprised in the slightest. That's how close it could be. So every lesson you've ever heard on Ezekiel 38, it was taught as prophecy. I'm wondering whenever I teach it, if it's going to be history, <laughs> you know, or even if we're still here by that point. So anyway, let's get back on to what we're talking about today. Back to Ezekiel. He's sitting in Tel Aviv. He's feeling sorry for himself. And it's easy to understand why. Ezekiel had trained his whole life to be a priest. Now he's hundreds of miles from the calling that he thought he had. And then God shows up. God has this great glory. He appears on his throne before Ezekiel. It's chapters one through three of Ezekiel. Ezekiel describes the figures. They look like glowing metal. These are the cherubim. They surround God's throne. Ezekiel sees them first. They have multiple faces around their head. I mean, it's, it's very weird. They have like these, each face looks like a different animal. Next to them are these wills within wills, and, and they seem to be um, lifelike in a way. These are the wills of God's massive throne. And Ezekiel sees God up on his throne, and God gives Ezekiel a mission. He calls him to be a prophet. And so as we recently talked about, um, Ezekiel was really overwhelmed with this experience. And, and yet he still resisted the call to be a prophet. He even gets mad at God. And... He said he, he was bitter. He, he didn't like this assignment. So before we get judgmental at Ezekiel about all that, we got to recall a few points, okay? Ezekiel sees this great and mighty God appear before him. If you're Ezekiel, if you're looking at how big and powerful God is right here, what your first thought might be is like, hey, cool, God has showed up. He's going to save us from this big problem we got. We're kidnapped by the bad guys. They took us away. God is showing up. He's going to wipe them all out. That's what you think might be about to happen, right? If you're, if you're Ezekiel, you're looking at God. He's right there. You got this big problem in your life. You might think, oh, this should be nothing for God to clean up. And yet, that is not what God showed up to tell him. He didn't say, hey, Ezekiel, I'm here to get you guys out of this mess. That's not what God said. God said, hey, I've got an assignment, and it's actually going to be really crummy, and you're going to lose everything and your life is going to be miserable, but I need you to do this because you're, you're going to you, your life is going to be assigned to the people. Now, that's not it's not exactly what God said, of course, but that's what that is what's going to happen to Ezekiel. The calling of a prophet, as we discussed last time, 
it is not um it is not all fun and games you know this is a hard calling to be a prophet and ezekiel's gonna have to tell people the truth about their attitudes and what they've been like what they've been doing and and they're gonna refuse to listen god even tells them they're gonna refuse to listen to what you have to say but as long as you tell them then their blood is on their own hands but if you don't warn them then ezekiel the blood is on your hands so he's got all this pressure to put on Ezekiel. Ezekiel might be thinking, hey, I'm about to get delivered. Instead, he gets this really hard assignment. And this, and this is just in the first few chapters of Ezekiel. So, of course, Ezekiel's kind of bitter and angry. I mean, that's very understandable, actually. You know, when you read it, it's like, wait, why are you arguing with God, Ezekiel? Why are you resisting the call of God? You know, we, that's what we think his, that's, isn't that what we think we would do, right? Oh, God, you showed up in a fiery form and you called me to do this. That sounds like a great, I want to be a Bible writer. That's amazing. That was not Ezekiel's take. So what's some things that we learn about God here in the first few lessons? This was like my first five lessons of the Ezekiel study. What do we learn about God? We learn that God is powerful and beautiful and holy. That God is constantly attended to by spiritual creatures and they constantly worship him and guard his presence. God is so glorious that Man can barely even look at him. So we learned that. We also learned that God is sovereign. That Ezekiel, or I'm sorry, that Israel, that they are not going through this destructive time because God has lost control of things. Things haven't gotten away from God. God is allowing all of this to happen for a reason. I mean, just again, as we look at world events and what's going on with Israel right now, like right this minute, by the time you're hearing this, God is allowing all of this for a reason. Another thing we learned, God has us go through hard things sometimes, and even though he is powerful, and even though he can deliver us, it doesn't necessarily mean that he will deliver us. God didn't pull Ezekiel out of Tel Aviv. You know, he obviously he had the power to. There was that one time, this had already happened in Israel's history, that the angel of the Lord came down and slaughtered 185,000 Assyrians in one night to keep that army off of Israel's back. God can do that kind of thing. And he's not doing that now. He's not doing some supernatural miracle deliverance. This is disappointing for Ezekiel. We would be disappointed too. Ezekiel's like, hey, I'm relying on God, but it feels like God's hanging me out to dry. And maybe you feel like that for something you're going through in your life. But here's what we see here is that God has not forgotten Ezekiel, that God still has a plan for Ezekiel. And part of that plan involves hanging out in Tel Aviv for the time being. Another thing we learn here is that God actually has a much safer place where Ezekiel is than where Ezekiel wants to be, which is back in Jerusalem. Sometimes when God gives us detours in life, it's not necessarily because of sin. It's not that God has forgotten us. It's not that God doesn't care. It might feel that way sometimes. You know, interruptions to our plans, they might actually be God repositioning us for where he actually wants us. So that's another thing to keep in mind. And finally, we learned that God's calling for your life might be something entirely different than what you had planned. Ezekiel wanted to be a priest. But circumstances that are beyond his control, they erase that possibility. And so we also learned from this that God is still in control. And, and God had a different idea for Ezekiel's life. And it's a, an idea that Ezekiel was not crazy about. God's plan can take you to some surprising places. God can put you through challenges that you never expected. Okay, so that's chapters one through three of Ezekiel. And here we are. According to my timer, I'm about 20 minutes into the program. So let's move it right. I'm not recapping every last chapter. I'm going to skip through them. But I do want to look at chapters four and five because this is where the sign acts of Ezekiel start. You know, part of Ezekiel's vibe is as a prophet, he does these strange public performances. Um, God basically asks Ezekiel to totally embarrass himself day after day. I'm imagining Ezekiel really had no social life. What well, one of the things he was first told to do is go down to the town square, build these little dioramas, and just kind of like lie on his side and just stare at them. <laughs> you know, if they must not have had insane asylums in Tel Aviv, or if they did, you know, Ezekiel surely would have been put in one of them. But he just goes and does this day after day after day. 
And then in the midst of performing this sign act, then he's told to cut off his hair and burn some of it and cut some of it with a sword and scatter some of it to the wind. One third burnt, one third cut, one third scattered. This was to be a prophecy of what would happen to the Jews. One third would be slaughtered with the sword. One third would perish in the fiery destruction of the city. And one third would be captured and carried away. I'm kind of operating off of memory here, so I hope I get all that right. You can go back and look at the studies on chapters 4 and 5 of Ezekiel if you want to see the full story. But what we learn about God here is that God is precise. You know, it's kind of like what we said before about God's sovereignty. God's not just taking his hand off the wheel and letting things spin out of control. God is precise. He is paying attention to detail when he allows even terrible things to happen. So he says here specifically one-third are going to be killed by the sword and so on from there. God's justice, when he meets it out, it is precise. He is not overdoing the destruction. Uh, If you want some more information on this, read the book of Habakkuk. That's another book of the Bible, and it deals with God's control, that God can use even evil people like the Babylonians to control things God's way and, and bring about God's desired outcomes. I want to mention a mailbag right here that we got about one of those episodes. Um, The episode, it aired more than a year ago, but this mailbag, it just came in the other day. So I was just kind of saving it for this one. And hey, that's fine. If you, you know, anytime somebody wants to go back into the the past of the podcast and pull something out that I said years ago and just throw it right in my face, (laughs) you know, go right ahead. I feel like that's fair. I mean, I said it, it's on the internet. Go ahead. You know, it's that's that's fair to me. So I did an episode at that time about a 430-day prophecy that's in part seven of the Ezekiel Ezekiel series. And I used some statistics in that episode. I thought that they had come from a man named Sir Robert Anderson, who lived in like England, um, like a hundred years ago. Anyway, we had heard back from somebody named Ryan, and he pointed out that Anderson was dead at the time that these calculations were put together. So he, he couldn't have been the one to figure him out. Ryan, his comment was, Anderson could not have figured out Israel in 1948 since he uh, he was dead by that year. He wrote his material in the late 1800s. So anyway, hey, Ryan is absolutely correct about that. (laughs) I was like, how did I make such a stupid mistake? So I look back over my notes and the commentary from that episode, and here's where I went wrong. From what I can tell, it was a more recent Bible teacher named Chuck Missler who put together the 430-day prophecy. And what he did was he used calculations that came from Sir Robert Anderson. So anyway, thank you, Ryan, for that correction. Um, and I again, I encourage anybody who would like to, to, to go back to listen to episode or part seven, part seven of the Ezekiel series and learn more about God's amazing precision and calculation that he is capable of, because that is a highly specific prophecy from God about how long Israel would be in captivity And it actually culminates in Israel's return as a nation in 1948. And if you just go check it out, that it's it really isn't amazing how specific God was in allow like how many years it was going to be before God would allow Israel back into their land. And it all goes right up to 1948, and it's all right there in the Bible. So if you want to check it out, you can go do that. Just keep in mind the part about Robert Anderson that should probably be attributed to Chuck Missler. He was just using Anderson's model. Anyway, go check it out if you want your mind blown about how amazing God's timing is. So we learned that God is precise. Let's jump ahead to talking about Ezekiel chapter 7. That was one of my favorite chapters in Ezekiel. That's where we learn about Jehovah Maka. And this is one of the names of God that is revealed in Scripture. But if you didn't listen to part 10 of the Ezekiel series, you've probably never heard of Jehovah Maka. So let me read to you where Jehovah Maka shows up. Ezekiel 7, verse 9. And my eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. I will punish you according to your ways, while your abominations are in your midst. Then you will know that I am the Lord who strikes. So God has said multiple times already throughout the book, he has this phrase, then you will know that I am the Lord. But this this time right here, God adds something to it. He says, the Lord who strikes. This is one of the names of God in scriptures. You know, if you've ever done a study on the names of God, you've probably heard of some of them. They're familiar to Jehovah Jireh. That's the one from Genesis 22. God 
who provides. That's where God provided a ram for the sacrifice instead of Isaac. And he said, well, I will call you Jehovah Jireh. The Lord provides. Okay. Um, or the Lord, our provider. It's something like that. So that's a familiar one. If you've done names of God studies, Ezekiel seven or sorry, Exodus 17, 15, we learn Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner or the Lord, our covering. Judges 6, we learn about the Lord, our peace, or Jehovah Shalom. In Jeremiah 23, 6, we learn Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. Psalm 23 gives Jehovah Ra, the Lord, my shepherd, uh, the Lord who heals, Jehovah Rapha. You know, there's lots of these names of God through the scriptures. I forget how many there are in the Bible. But if you ever wanted to study them, it's a good study. And you can go find many books or Bible studies. Just go Google it. Look it up on Amazon. And you're going to find studies on the names of God. But I don't think any of them include the name of God from Ezekiel 7. Jehovah Maka, the Lord who strikes. I can't prove this, but I did go look on Amazon. I typed in names of God study. And I looked at the top results. And I looked at their tables of contents. And you know what? I did not see any of them that had the Lord who strikes. It's usually, you know, like t- 10 or 12 different names of God. And the Lord who strikes, that never makes it in the top 12. And I'm not surprised, you know, I'm not, and I'm not being down on those books. But like I said, it, it's a good study, but why don't we see the Lord who strikes in the lineup? You know, it is one of the names of God from scripture, but it's not one that gets a lot of attention. Well, it, it's pretty obvious if you look at all the names that they did pick, like Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. These are all happy and positive things about God, joyous things about God, things that make us feel good. And getting to know God, it should make us feel good. But we got to remember, guys, God is not just warm and fuzzy feelings all the time. Sometimes God punishes sin. Sometimes God disciplines. Sometimes God disciplines me. Sometimes God has to take me to the woodshed. And so that's another aspect of God that, you know, we shouldn't just ignore it just because it doesn't make us feel the warm fuzzies. Uh, It's still an aspect of God that we should keep in mind. And so I'm not trying to be hard on those books, okay? But this is the reason that ancient Israel had gotten in such a mess and they couldn't take God seriously. They believed in God. I mean, they 100% believed in God, but they only focused on the parts of God that they liked, the parts that they agreed with. They were not thinking of him as a God who would hold them accountable a God who might destroy their city. They weren't thinking of God that way. So when Ezekiel starts lying in the street and building a model city and showing how it's all going to get wiped out, you know, the, the people didn't want to hear that. They kind of shrug it off. They, they wonder why he's being so mean. You know, Ezekiel, I don't think you're being very loving. I thought God was love. I don't like your tone, Ezekiel. I don't like these things that give me the sads. And so when we have that attitude about what God says, well, now we have a problem with comprehending a God of justice. And the real God is a God of justice. But these people no longer really believed in a God of justice. They didn't have a fear of the Lord. Like when I say a fear of the Lord, I mean a healthy fear of the Lord. It was gone from their society. And I think it's gone from our society today. And I feel like one of the causes of that is that we, we only study these Bible studies sometimes that just make us feel good. And they tell people what they want to hear, not what people need to hear. They focus on the happy things of God and not the full truth of God. Sometimes he's the God who heals and the God who provides. I mean, that is who God is, but he's also the Lord who strikes, the Lord who strikes sinners, the Lord who disciplines sinners. And so um, whenever you only focus on the parts of God that you like, that results in an incomplete view of God. And as we see in this chapter, or as we see in the whole book of Ezekiel, that is a dangerous thing. I'm going to take a short break here, get a drink. And when I come back, let's finish up this recap and review of what we learn about God in Ezekiel. Let me talk about the chapter on Ezekiel that provoked the most study for me and kind of threw me for the biggest loop as we covered the book of Ezekiel. And this is what we covered last November. This was chapter 14 of Ezekiel. 
And this was part 21 of my entire studies that we did. And this is the one that I was most fearful to cover. Like out of, out of all the episodes I put out, this is the one that actually had me the most scared <laughs> as I put it out. Cause I was really nervous. Like what if I got something wrong here? Um, because it was so counterintuitive to how we normally think about God. So kind of like what I was just discussing a few moments ago about the Lord who strikes Ezekiel really reveals a, And I say the, when I, I mean the book Ezekiel, the book, it really reveals a side of God that you just don't see emphasized a whole lot in your typical Bible study. And chapter 14 is one of those parts where, um, I, I want to say chapter 14 is one of the most shocking chapters I've ever even studied in the Bible. And, and yet, as I dug into it and really grasped what it was saying, I realized that it was entirely consistent with God's character all throughout Scripture. And so here's what it means in short. It says, if you have an idol in your heart, God will use that idol to deceive you. That's, that's a hard sentence to say, even after all this time, that it would say in the Bible that God will, that he will outright says that he will deceive you. But he says he'll do it if you have an idol of the heart. Let me just read a verse from that chapter. Ezekiel 14, 4. This is a long verse, but it is just one verse. Therefore speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Any one of the house of Israel who takes idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols. So God is saying, if you come to me or if you come to one of my prophets for advice, but if you have an idol in your heart, you're not going to get the best answer. I'm going to answer you according to your idol. So in other words, I might just tell you what you really want because you're not coming to me with pure intentions and in asking for direction. It later says in verse nine, and if the prophet is deceived and speaks a word, I, the Lord, have deceived that prophet and I will stretch out my hand against him and will destroy him from the midst of my people Israel. So if you come to God, if you ask for God's guidance, but you actually have something in your heart that's more important to you than God, then God will lead you to what you truly want, but not to his genuine will. So if you have an idol of money in your heart and you pray to God, you say, hey, God, should I take this job or should I take that job? Should I take this job for more money or this job for less money? Well, perhaps God's will for you is that you would take the job that's offering less money. You know, maybe God has a greater reason for you to, to go to that job. Maybe God feels that this job is going to be better for you in the long run. But if you have an idol of money in your heart, then God might orchestrate your circumstances so that you go to the job that you really want, but not the job that would be his best for you. Okay, does that make sense? You know, and, and still, that is a hard thing to say, but it's what the verse says. It says, I, the Lord, have deceived that prophet. And so to, to even read that, it messes with a lot of our theology that, it, that God would say right here that he would deceive. But if you, if you want my entire treatment of that chapter of chapter 14, go to part 21 of this series. It was probably my longest episode, but this episode, it, it shows a side of God that most people really don't believe in. And I explained that in that episode. This is actually how God operates all through scripture, Old Testament and new. You know, you're probably familiar with this verse. It's from the end times. And it's talking about what the Antichrist, um, it's talking about the end times and all that stuff. And here's what it says. The coming of the lawless one, that's the Antichrist, is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. So we, we've all probably heard those verses. It says right there, God is going to give a delusion to people if a delusion is what they truly desire. And I think we see that playing out even today. We're not in the necessarily the tribulation and the Antichrist yet, but we see people today just embracing delusion. It's like, how can someone believe stuff that's so stupid? 
There's people who reject God's plan for creation nowadays, and then they suddenly don't know what gender they are anymore. You know, that is depravity right there. There are biological men who think that they are women. How does that even happen? They've been given over to a delusion. You know, I'm I'm sure demons have a lot to do with it, but perhaps God has just given these people over to that stuff. You would have to be delusional if you look at Bruce Jenner and think that he is a female. It is so stupid. It is so idiotic to even think that. But there are people who truly think that. And I just wonder if that's a judgment from God that they even... Actually, my pastor said something this past Sunday is very interesting and also true. Um, Homosexuality does not just invite God's judgment. Homosexuality is God's judgment. That's what Romans chapter 1 says, that whenever you reject God and reject his ways, he will give them over to a reprobate mind. They start to desire things that they should not. And so anyway, go to go to lesson number 21. That's about chapter 14 of Ezekiel. And you can learn all about that. We learn about what we learn about God in Ezekiel 14. It's kind of confusing. It's kind of shocking. But it's actually entirely consistent with the rest of Scripture. I'll read a short passage of how John Bevere summarizes it. He says, If we really desire or covet something, and God has communicated his will on the matter, whether that is through his word or whether that's through prayer, yet we still desire it, God will often give it to us, even if he knows it is not best for us and that we will ultimately be judged for it. So that's another good summary right there of basically what Ezekiel 14 is saying. So go read Ezekiel 14 for yourself. Go listen to that study. But it's a really interesting thing about God that we learn in that chapter. Chapter 17 is also one of my favorite chapters um, in the book that we've studied so far. I'll tell you why. Um, It's kind of funny. Right after talking about how God might deceive people, chapter 17 teaches us about how extremely God is committed to truth. And so, you know, this is one of those things about how it's kind of hard to reconcile different aspects of God sometimes. And, you know, all, all I can tell you is God is bigger than us, and he's a little hard to understand at times. But one of my favorite chapters in this whole study has been chapter 17. And that's where we learn how far God takes us, takes it when he tells us not to lie. In chapter 17, God gives a riddle. It's basically like a political cartoon. Um, You know how you open up the newspaper and you might read a little cartoon. You see a little cartoon donkey or a cartoon elephant. And it's communicating some kind of idea about um, our government. And the images in the cartoon are symbolic. And you kind of have to decipher them to know what it's really trying to say. You know, that's what Ezekiel 17 is. Ezekiel 17 is a political cartoon and God is drawing this for us. It it, it involves an eagle and a tree. I'm not going to rehash it all here. If you can go back to part 26 of the Ezekiel series, you can read all about it or hear all about it. It's a cartoon about King Zedekiah. Ezekiel has a very low opinion of King Zedekiah. In fact, he won't even call him a king. <laughs> he has a um if Ezekiel was alive today, he would be one of these hashtag not my president people. He won't even call Zedekiah the king. And so God is pronouncing judgment on Zedekiah in chapter 17 because Zedekiah had sworn an oath to serve Nebuchadnezzar. This was after the first invasion by Babylon. And so he had sworn this oath. But then Zedekiah sees an opportunity to make an alliance with Egypt and to basically stab Nebuchadnezzar in the back. And Zedekiah wanted to be a backstabber. He thought that seemed like a good idea. If we were in his shoes, we might think it seems like a good idea. You know, we'd probably be down with it because Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, those are the bad guys. Zedekiah and Israel, weren't they the innocent good guys? They're just minding their own business. They're just running their country. They're not out here trying to conquer the world. So if the bad guys come in and start messing with you, what's wrong with stabbing them in the back? What's wrong with breaking your covenant with the bad guys? Well, what we find out in chapter 17, God does not like us breaking covenants with anybody, even with the bad guys. God says it is still not okay. He says, maybe they are the bad guys, but you made a covenant with them, Zedekiah. And so I expect you to honor that covenant. That shows for us, guys, 
how seriously God takes covenants. It's that even if you make a covenant with the bad guy, you are still responsible to keep your word and not betray them. So this was a really shocking chapter. And this would make a great chapter, I think, for a preacher to use for a sermon and talking about telling the truth. Because this chapter tells us, always keep your commitments, even if it's going to cost you deeply to do it. Because God just desires for us to keep our word. And even a promise that we make to, quote unquote, the bad guys or the villains, he expects us to honor it. That's how far that God takes it. So I like this chapter because it's kind of an extreme example that God uses to tell us that we need to follow through on what we say that we're going to do. And this is one of those chapters that you're probably never going to hear a sermon on because this is just one of those nuggets that you don't really find in scripture unless you're just crawling through it really nice and slow, which is what we've been doing on this podcast. So um, there's that. I want to share one more memory from this series before we go today, and then I will tell you the, the special announcement about the 100th episode. So my favorite chapter of Ezekiel was chapter 18. This chapter contains some incredible truths about salvation. We always need to keep this stuff in mind. So Ezekiel 18, starting at verse 14, it says, Now suppose that this man, it's talking about an evil man, an unrighteous, ungodly, unsaved man. Suppose that this man fathers a son who sees all the sins that his father has done. He sees and does not do likewise. He does not eat upon the mountains or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, does not defile his neighbor's wife, does not oppress anyone, exacts no pledge, commits no robbery, but gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with a garment, withholds his hand from iniquity, takes no interest or profit, obeys my rules and walks in my statutes. He shall not die for his father's iniquity. He shall surely live. As for his father, because he practiced extortion, robbed his brother, and did what is not good among his people. Behold, he shall die for his iniquity. So right here, what this passage is saying It's basically telling us that God has his own relationship with each person. And so you can't claim that you are a Christian or a follower of God or going to heaven just because your parents were Christians or just because your grandparents were Christians. You can't do that. You have to make your own decision. You can't just ride your parents' coattails into heaven. You have to have your own relationship with God. It doesn't matter where you came from. I mean, you could have come from the most evil, the most degenerate family who's ever walked the face of the earth, and that is going to affect you in a lot of ways, but that does not affect your eternity. Your eternity is in your hands. That is up to you. And what you have to do is decide for yourself what you're going to do with your life, with your future, with your soul. And so, what do we learn about God in chapter 18 of Ezekiel? We learn that God has no grandkids. You have to have your own relationship with God. God has no grandkids. He only has kids. Verses 19 and 20. Yet you say, why should not the son suffer for the iniquity of the father? When the son has done what is right and just and has been careful to observe all my statutes, he shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. And so in part 27 of this series, what we learn about God is that he has no grandkids. God wants a relationship with you. And these are some of the great truths that we learn about God in the book of Ezekiel. Okay, I'm finally ready for the big announcement about episode 100 as we close down. First of all, make sure that you are subscribed if you're not already. And if any of the topics piqued your interest today, I invite you to go back and listen to past episodes of the Ezekiel series. So today, this was kind of a recap and review episode. This episode is part 42 of the Ezekiel series. I did not recap and review 
the past few months of episodes because I think those are more fresh on your memory. But you can go back and revisit any of these past episodes if you are ever interested in a resource on Ezekiel. And this is not just episode 42 of the series. It is also episode 98 of the Cross References podcast. I always thought if I ever get to 100 episodes, I want to get like a giant vanilla or chocolate cake or something. and I want to get like the podcast cover printed on it (laughs) or like the logo for the podcast. Anyway, I am coming up on episode 100. I am not in the mood for cake. I'm not ready to celebrate just yet. I also don't know if it'd be a wise investment of money right now, (laughs) but that's okay. I'm not in the mood to stop and relax and party. After 100 episodes, I'm in the mood to push forward. And so that is what I'm planning to do. And so with episode 100 of the podcast, what I am planning to do is start a second podcast, a new podcast. And I've been working on this for the past couple months. Cross References is going to continue. But I'm also going to start another one, a new one. It's going to be another Bible study podcast, and it's going to have a bit more of a specific focus. And so what I'm going to call this second podcast, get ready for this name, it's going to be called Weird Stuff in the Bible. And I am really excited about that name, because basically when you tell someone the title of the show, that's also going to tell them exactly what the podcast is all about. This is a show about the strange things that we come across in scripture. Okay, those verses that say stuff like, don't don't boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Okay, those things are so bizarre to us, especially those of us who are modern Western American readers. That is really weird stuff to us. And so that's basically what the the show is for. It's called Weird Stuff in the Bible. And it's going to come out weekly. Um, I think I'm going to put those episodes out on Wednesdays. And... uh, They're going to probably be a bit shorter because I'm going to try to keep cross-references going, but I'm probably going to do shorter versions of both of those shows. Try to keep them more like 20 to 30 minutes instead of these 40 to an hour long episodes. I don't I don't like doing hour long episodes. That's asking a lot of the listener. I'd rather just make them more focused. And so anyway, the the weird stuff episodes are going to come out probably on Wednesdays. But if you want to go ahead and go subscribe to the to that podcast now you're going to start getting those episodes when they premiere in a few weeks. And if you are a YouTube listener, because I know some of my listeners are on YouTube, and um, I'm going to continue using this same YouTube channel for both podcasts. So if you're a YouTube listener, you don't even have to go anywhere else. Just know that there's going to be the Monday episodes that are cross-references and the Wednesday episodes, and those are going to be weird stuff in the Bible. So if you like weird stuff, or if you like the Bible, Or if you really like weird stuff in the Bible, go subscribe to the Weird Stuff in the Bible podcast. It's available to subscribe to now wherever you get your podcasts in the first episode of this one, Cross References. And the first episode of Weird Stuff in the Bible is also going to be episode 100 of this show. And then after that, they're going to branch off and be their own two separate things. But they're going to cross over for that first one. So... Get ready, because we got some exciting stuff ahead. Okay, one last thing that we learn about God in the book of Ezekiel is that God still loves you all the way to the end. The two roughest sections of the book of Ezekiel that we've studied so far on this journey, um, number one was a major prophecy that was chapters 8 through 11. And that is a big prophecy that took up four chapters. And that was also probably the strongest or most highly negative portion of the book up to that point. And then the other roughest part of the book that we've read was a parable about an adulterous wife, and that was in chapter 16. Both of these sections of Ezekiel, they were the most violent. They used the most raw imagery. I mean, I don't even want to get into all of it again. It was some disturbing stuff. And yet, they end with the most positive words that we've also studied in this entire book. Chapter 16, it's so so bloody and violent and and hard to read if you really think about what it's saying. But then this is what God says at the end of chapter 16. For thus says the Lord God, I will deal with you as you have done. I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord, that you may remember and be confounded and never open your mouth again because of your shame, when I atone for you for all that you have done, declares the Lord God. He ends that chapter of the most like negative chapter of Ezekiel, but he ends it with some of the most 
uh, loving and kind words and says, I will atone for you and all that you've done. And what we see right there is, is kind of the gospel, right? That God was going to remember his covenant with Israel. He would still take them back. He would still forgive them. And, and for those of us who come into a relationship with God, um, he atoned for us by dying for us on the cross. And so he, he still loved us. And that's this last thing that we learn about God is that God loves you all the way to the end. We see these glimpses of the gospel and the cross of Jesus all throughout the book of Ezekiel. And we've been seeing them for 24 chapters. One of them last time, even back there where it talked about um, the chapter where Ezekiel's wife died. And God used that as kind of a mirror of how he was going to destroy the temple. The temple, this was the place where God met with man. And God said, I am going to profane it. I am going to destroy it. And then hundreds of years later, God came to this earth. And the sanctuary where God met with man, it was in the person of Jesus Christ. He tabernacled among us. God did that with Jesus, and then God profaned and destroyed Jesus on the cross. He made him who knew no sin to become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was where God met with man. God destroyed that temple, and of course, as we know, three days later, he rose it up. But we see these, we see these mirrors or these glimpses, these parallels, these types and anti-types. We see all this of Jesus in the cross, and we see it in the book of Ezekiel. And that's one of the reasons I call this podcast Cross-References, because yes, the Bible has a lot of cross-references in it, but we also see a lot of references to the cross. And so that's why we do this, and that's why we've been, we've been doing it for almost 100 episodes, and we're going to keep doing it for another 100 episodes. That's why we've done it through 24 chapters of Ezekiel. We're going to do it through 24 more chapters of Ezekiel. And if you're paying attention, you can find Jesus all through the scriptures and every book of the Bible, if not every chapter of the Bible, especially even there in the Old Testament. As we cover the second half of Ezekiel, you can be assured we're going to keep looking for all these references to the cross. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. This has been Luke Taylor, and I hope you're excited about weird stuff in the Bible. We'll be right back.